Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and don't forget to join the travel club. We go to some fantastic places. I say it week over week. Many of you do travel with us and have joined us on many of our journeys. And we are going to Croatia to celebrate Advantage International, our show's sponsor's 25th anniversary. Also, some other big milestone birthdays are going to be celebrated on board. So that's going to be July 28th to August 6th. And we're going to continue the celebration in Greece in September, September 1 through 9, going to Athens and to Crete. We're just celebrating all year uh, because it is Advantage International's 25th anniversary and 6065 is coming up. But you have to be on the list and in the club to know when we're traveling and when we're on the go. So make sure, again, you visit that website and you sign up. As always, I want to thank you for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. You know, it's been a while since we have done travel news and hot topics. We know we give you news every week, but there's some things that just keep coming up and some things that we figure are now it's about time to really spend some more time on. And of course, don't forget those hot topics, what everyone is talking about, along with some of those travel trends and a whole lot more. So make sure you maybe get your pen and pan ready. We've got spring that's coming up. Last week was our spring fling show and summer is on the horizon. So you want to make sure you're well prepared for your travels that are coming up because A lot of folks are traveling this year. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute, and we're going to have the Culture Report. Joining me today is executive producer Gene Harley. That's going to really help me chat about all travel news and hot topics today. Hey, Gene. Hi, Javon. Well, welcome back. You know, we keep our eye on the news every day because it's what we do, and we have to make sure we know what's happening, not just here in the United States, but around the world as well, because travel is greatly impacted by travel news and by news in general. Sometimes things that you may not even think of can impact travel, whether it is specifically a travel related news or not. So we always want to keep our ear to the ground. And what's the eye part? Keep our eye on the prize. Eye on the prize. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's being talked about a lot is disability and the ADA and how people with disabilities navigate the world and some things that we don't think about because we're not impacted by it, but we can see how it's greatly impacted. A young man, Mario Bonds, DC native, went to Atlanta in the hotel at the Hilton Hotel, got in the elevator, the door closed, but It didn't go anywhere. And he was kind of stuck in there for 10 minutes because he couldn't figure out which button to push because they didn't have Braille. Because he's blind. Because he's blind. Yeah. And this is an interesting situation that came up and that is coming up all over the place because elevator companies and hotels in a lot of places are switching to glass screen digital. The buttons disappear and the buttons were put in at the time to comply with ADA and therefore they give them that option 
of having a Braille system. But the glass screen, touch screen, does not. And he was struck there because there was no such thing. Yeah. You know, here in our building, we live in a high rise in downtown Chicago. And we have that digital screen, which there's no sensory there at all for someone to feel. Of course, it's highly censored for touch, Touch. uh, but not for the individual. However, you have to have a backup system because sometimes those systems fail. And sometimes we get on the elevator and that whole digital board is black. So we have to resort to the buttons. And so every elevator for backup and safety measures are supposed to have those backup buttons. And section 4.10 of ADA requires elevators to have buttons as well as tactile, braille, and visual control indicators. And voice control situation. So like what he was saying is, I can use, and he complained to Hilton, and he was a little bit put off by their response. And they said they're going to look into it further. But the initial response at the desk was one that surprised and what do you want us to do? But just as Javon mentioned, you should have a keypad on there with Braille capability. If you do not have that, you should have a pad that has Braille that says voice so that you can do a voiceover request so he can say fourth floor, lobby, emergency or something. No one was able to assist him for up to 10 minutes, and that's a disturbing situation to have. Well, also, if you're not sure of what's going on, you can panic a bit. He did say that he explained to Hilton the issue, and he said that the staff said that they felt attacked by him. (laughs) He was probably upset by the matter. Probably less than pleasant after being 10 minutes on that elevator. And basically, this is his life. He has to live this every day. A blind person or a physically impaired person has to live with these situations where things are not built for them, and they still want to travel, and they still are going on business. Yeah, he did mention one thing that I found very interesting is that he said he has an iPhone, and that his iPhone gives him a lot of capability. Yes. Because the iPhone, he uses it every day, and it has voice recognition. Yes. And is a touch screen device that talks. That's right. So he's saying that, you know, these things can be done. But talk about something that's new. There's an RV company that is renting out luxury hotel suites on wheels. So A long, long time ago, remember we went to this RV show and they showed us some of these Uh high-end luxury RVs. And at that time, these were timeshare RVs, remember? Yes. So people are thinking, you know, people who wanted a timeshare experience but not staying at a hotel. This is kind of similar to this. And when I say luxury, these RVs are high-end luxury and will rival any hotel room with the exception of being a brick and mortar. Yeah, it's really interesting because a Silicon Valley startup company called Rollaway, R-O-L-L-A-W-A, is introducing brand new lodging category of upscale RVs. Now, when you take a look at these and you can see it on their website, they're going to be made available soon. They basically look like a very small luxury accommodation. It's a beautiful kitchen, bathroom, full bathroom. Bedroom type setup, cleaning supplies. You can sign up for all kinds of activities, a 24 hour a day concierge service to assist you with any needs, travel arrangements, restaurants, anything like that. Outdoor kits, amenities, cleaning amenities. I thought it was interesting. They said maid service. I want to see the maid following me down the highway to clean my room so that I can go and enjoy it. 
But this is for that person that wants that capability of roughing it, but it's even better than glamping, right? Well, absolutely. It gives you that ability to be on the go so that if you're not looking at one destination, so your living quarters or your hotel accommodations are your transportation. Goes with you. Right. And I'm sure they've set up connections with various services along the way so that you can get excursions, 24-hour assistance, made daily service and maids, and they have full queen-size beds and yes. a separate living and dining room area. I think this is something I might want to give a try. I'm certainly not going to stay in the wilderness, but <laughs> you know, I can drive through it and I can stop. I do like the but great outdoors. Take a, a visit to a national park yeah. in something like this, a West Coast National Park, because they're introducing them in the San Francisco area. Right. So you can go to Sequoia National Park or some of those great parks. And there's zero emission. I wonder if you can stop zero in a emission. City. That would be great too. That you can actually visit a city. Well, you can, but you have to watch where well. you park because a lot yeah. of cities have vehicles more than twelve feet. I know because my radio station had yeah. a Hummer, and we get ticketed all the time because it was too wide and too yeah. long. <laughs> well, I love new and innovative things that come about, and really pay attention to what people are looking for and what people want as far as experiences are concerned. But talking about experiences, often you and I even use it. So many people use TripAdvisor to verify accommodations or to look at reviews and to see if there's good experiences, bad experiences, and so forth. Well, TripAdvisor last year caught more than 1 million fake reviews. And they're not always easy to find, but you and I no, have a little not. formula that we use but what we use is we don't count on it 100%, but we no. look for certain things. You look for a pattern and you go through right. other ones in there and you look at the good and the bad ones. And there are some things you can look at, but 1.3 million of them were fraudulent. And that still was only 72% of all of the fakes that were out there. And basically for folks that don't know, a lot of people go to TripAdvisor to get a commentary, to get regular people impression. You don't want to go by the four star, the five star, the number seven out of eight or whatever. You want to hear some real reviews about the beds and everything like that. And that's what they do. Yeah, I just want to correct one thing. So out of the 1.3 million fake reviews accounted for 4.4% of all reviews submitted, but TripAdvisor stopped 72% of the fake ones. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, they were only able to stop 67%. So they're doing a better job looking for fake reviews. Just over 24,500 of them were associated with paid review companies, and nearly half of those originated in only six countries, India, Russia, the United States, Turkey, Italy, and Vietnam. So well, they have groups of people who just sit down and do this for a living. They get paid. Yes. Mm -hmm. So a fake review is considered something that is submitted by a person who is either biased in some way and or who did not have a personal experience with the business they reviewed. This is according to the company. Now, it's not easy to spot a fake review. However, there are some tips to consider. So you want to look at reviews that are recent, firsthand, relevant, respectful, and unbiased. And those are real reviews. The fake ones are going to have a certain view or be general. I just hate this company. You know, these are things that are coming down just to drive the numbers down for that particular company or to drive it up by saying everything was perfect. That's got to catch your attention. That's not a review. 
And usually if I find some personal aspects of the review, it gives me an idea that it's a real review. Like yes. they name someone or yeah. they give a specific incident. Mm-hmm. One of the things I look for are patterns. I'm not going to name the hotel. It was some time ago, but I looked at reviews for a particular hotel. And there were numerous comments on beds that were hard, hard yeah. not firm. <laughs> they were yeah. like, you can't even Boom. sleep on this yeah, bed. You just fell down on but the But it was review after review after review. And people said it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I hope the hotel took heed because I'm like, how hard are these beds? It certainly deterred me from traveling there. But these are some of the things that you want to look for. You want to look for firsthand. That's always a giveaway. Something more recent, like I just stayed there rather than something general and then relevant. And then sometimes on the same thing, something can be a valid review. Yes. But then was it something that because somebody just didn't get what they wanted? Sometimes I look at the reviews and say, oh, you're just being petty. You just didn't get what you wanted to get. I was expecting an upgrade and I didn't get an upgrade. Well, we are doing all news and hot topics today. So we've got a lot more when we come back. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you go to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and don't forget to join that travel club. We're going to Croatia, July 28th through August 6th, and we're going to Greece, September 1st through the 9th. We're going to Athens and Crete. Really looking forward to both of those. If you want to join us, just go on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and check it out. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. On my recent trip, I saw many people, their luggage was overweight, but unfortunately they didn't discover this until they got to the airport. They had to get out of line, shuffle around some things and then come back. And in some cases they had to pay a lot more. You can really get ahead of this if you invest in, make a small, small, small investment into a portable travel scale. They're very small these days. They're electronic or digital. They hook around the handle of your luggage and you can weigh it before you leave home and before you get to the airport. I always recommend that the standard luggage weight is 50 pounds on what you are allowed. Try to come in at 40. That way you know you have another 10 pounds if you want to buy some things. 45 at the max, but always give yourself some extra poundage. You don't want to depart with 50 pounds. It gives you nowhere to go. And then also it's portable so you can take it with you. Then when you're in the hotel and you're packing up, you can weigh it. Another tip, it is typically less expensive to check a second bag than it is to pay overweight luggage. At all costs, try to stay away from that third checked bag because that's where the price quadruples. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Joining me today is executive producer Gene Harley, and it's all news, hot topics, and what's trending for 2023. Gene, JetBlue, another discount carrier, is expanding their flights into Europe. 
Yes, they are expanding in a big way into Europe. They've gone into London, now into Amsterdam, and they're moving into other destinations out of New York. So look forward to JetBlue being one of your choices when you're flying over to Europe. They started with London back in 2021, nonstop from New York to London. Now they've added, as you said, Amsterdam, and they will also add Paris this year. (laughs) Now remember that JetBlue also has a class called Mint Suites, because a lot of your other low-cost carriers don't have an upgraded cabin category, but JetBlue does, and it's called Mint Suites. They have 24. It's their business class, and it has recently won tons of awards. Well, it's a life flat situation. And although they don't fly the wide bodies, that means two aisles going down, they're flying the Airbus 321 long haul. And we've been on that plane before. A lot of great companies fly that one. It allows you to have a business class section, live flat business class, and then a premium economy economy section. And it's still a single aisle plane, but it can make that long distance flight. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't want to spring for business class on any flight, ask about that extra leg room or plus every airline calls it something different. That's right. Um, But those few extra inches and leg room and a lot of them come with separate service as well. That's right. Some airlines are even looking at this class of service as the old kind of similar to the old business class. We used to have the three cabins, the first business and economy. Mm -hmm. So again, they don't lie flat, but they are a little bit wider and they they give you you more leg room. And more recline in a lot of cases. So look into that. That's a way to save some money and enjoy yourself. And it's not a super long flight. It's going to average between seven or eight hours out of New York going over to London as much as eight to 10 hours. And that can be done very easily. And that's quite a savings with a company like JetBlue. It certainly is. You know, we've been talking for a long time about what's been happening in not just California globally, but specifically, I want to talk about California and their record snowfall. I know that in last week's news story, I did talk about their record snowfall over 800 inches in some places. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the impact of that and what that means for the spring and summer season to come. Because... First of all, California's ski season will extend into the summer. It's that much snow. To July, when you're talking about 6, 8, 10 feet of snow in some locations, that snow's not going anywhere any soon. So that means you have a long ski season. You can go from the beach in California a few hours up the hill and you're going to be skiing. Yeah, and just as much as it presents the welcome water that California needed because they've been in a drought for many years, but it will also present some challenges, numerous challenges. Climatologists couldn't have predicted this year's record-breaking snowpack, especially for the western region of the United States. But the winter, we're talking about California's Mammoth Mountains, South Lake Tahoe's Heavenly and Kirkwood Resorts, and in Utah, hills from Atla and Snowbird to Brighton were slammed with that 800 inches But Mammoth has extended its ski season through July, Palisades Tahoe on Independence Day, and then dozens of other resorts are operating for extra weeks and months as well. The atmospheric river has just dumped a ton of moisture in California and Oregon all the way down. And you know what it means? It means that the snow season continues, but the spring, the hiking season, may not happen at all until July or August this year. And that's true. And they might be hit with a lot of flooding. That is one of the challenges that they're going to be faced with. It's actually a positive and a negative here. 
the grass is going to grow longer than in drought years. And that's due to the moisture, but it'll make it easier to ignite during the dry season. Yeah, you know, that's the, be a these, big concern. these wildfire season. However, snow accumulation will delay the wildfire season in certain areas. So it's going to make it a shorter period, but it may make it a little bit more intense because they have more grass that's going to dry out. And the good and the bad. The good part is it's beautiful. It's going to be a beautiful spring whenever it comes. And it'll come in July this year instead of April or May. But we're going to have more avalanches because the ground is saturated. And a lot of areas along the coastal areas and in the mountains, you're going to have to be careful because they may be impassable during this season. Yeah. And they're really hoping that it will be a very gradual melt. Melt, yeah. Hopefully it won't be immediate high temperatures. Not like here in Chicago, 90 degrees and then 34 degrees the next day. (laughs) Yeah, we want a slow spring summer transition so that this water can melt off gradually and therefore it will not be flooding and not be waste. Yes. Yeah. Now, something interesting, they said the strong storms in January were not consistent with a La Nina event and that it may have been influenced by a sub-seasonal driver of climate variability coupled with a weakening of La Nina around Christmas time. And it's an unusual year and it fits the narrative of climate change from the perspective of a warmer world that has more energy for storms to work with. And as a result, new extremes can be experienced. So again, the drawbacks to the historic snowfall in California, Utah, Oregon, and Colorado, as much as 70 feet of snow has also created costly and dangerous hurdles. They have a lot that they're really concerned about. Like you said, it's delaying the hiking season, but also they're really, really concerned about the flooding that is going to come. Especially in the areas where they had wildfires, where there is not the ground surface protection against flooding and landslides. So that's something that's going to have to be looked at. And we're going to hear a lot more about this story as we go into the summer. Yeah, some other stories that, that are related to it. Lakes are coming back. Inland seas are coming back and reclaiming their land. So many things are really happening because of these weather events that are occurring. So very interesting. We'll all have to wait and see how this all plays out. What can we expect at airports and on the planes this summer? There's a lot of people who are going to be running to the airports this summer and hitting the road. And I think planes are going to be a lot more crowded. And if we had some problems this past summer, look for more. Christmas time, look for more this summer. Yeah. One thing that we've experienced with our groups this year is that more people are traveling because there are fewer COVID travel protocols and restrictions. That's right. And so where before in 22 and in 21, 21, we kind of were easing back in, but the COVID travel restrictions were heavy. You either had to be fully vaccinated or you had to be tested in some cases two and three times before you landed or were able to go out and about in the destination and you had to have your card with you. On one trip that we took last year, we experienced these restrictions being lifted while we were there. Yes. And now on the trips that we've done this year, only one country was checking for anything and that was Ghana. Ghana, yeah. Other than that, free reign to travel anywhere you may want to go. And that's going to mean a lot of people traveling. Now, the barometer to look at for this is TSA. TSA lines will give you a feel for what's going on. When the lines start getting line out the door and around the corner, then you know that it's going to be a mess going through. 
in different places. And then expect delays and flight cancellations and all these other things because staffing is still coming back. And you know what? The number of flight attendants and pilots has not been corrected yet, and that's not going to be corrected for years. Well, yeah, that is an ongoing problem, and it's not going to be corrected right away. But TSA, a couple of things happening with TSA at major airports like Atlanta, the busiest airport, they are starting to use more electronic systems, biometrics, and all of these things that get us through TSA a lot quicker. And I have certainly experienced that, and I've experienced that in other places like in Qatar, where we stopped over back in March when we went to South Africa, you put your things on the bin and it guides it itself. It yes. pulls it over itself if necessary. But it was a seamless system really going through. But if you're traveling this summer, you definitely want to consider what are those peak times for TSA. The peak times are Sundays and Mondays and even weekend mornings. So those are the times that you want to make sure that you pay attention to. And I always make sure I check out the people in the TSA lane. Why? Because based on how the person moves, how they're dressed, and what kind of luggage they have with them, you can tell whether or not they are our business and or seasoned traveler. Unfortunately, you have the vacationers, the leisure travel that doesn't travel all the time, and then, of course, families, because it just takes longer for families. So when I look at people who are minimally dressed, have light luggage. And I can tell they're, they're starting everything. to get ready ahead of time. <laughs> so TSA pre-check is certainly something that you want to do. You want to have TSA pre-check. You want to have any of the programs that are going to speed you through. Javon mentioned some airports are doing more things in here to get you through faster. When you come in the United States from an international destination, make sure you're already set up because you can go through the biometrics at the airport and go through as quickly as somebody who has TSA pre-check or, or pre-clearance. So that's a good way to get yourself through the airport quickly. Yeah, with global entry, or you can download the app. And clear. Another thing that's going to happen, disruptions. Now, all you have to do is think back to last winter or Christmas season, and December. Mm -hmm. Especially December, we know that Southwest Airlines had a major, major meltdown. So some major airlines, your legacy carriers like Delta, United American are already starting to scale back on some of their flights because they need to make sure they're adjusting them based on the crew and the staff that they have. So that's something that you really want to consider. You want to book your flight as early as possible in the day because the data shows the longer the day goes on, the more likely flights will be delayed and canceled. And it's a snowball effect. That's right. Stay away from that very last flight. Occasionally, I have had to book it, but I'm always nervous because if there's flight delays throughout the day, that last flight is often one that gets canceled. You get some monitor systems in place like an app or go to FlightAware's website. Download the airline's app itself. It can really help you for up to the second updates. Many and times I've received updates on a flight change or cancellation or delay before the crew has even made the announcement. The flight attendants or the people at the staff at the gate have made the announcement and they'll give you, if it's cancellation, they'll rebook you. So that's something to look at too. Yeah. We've both experienced packed lounges. So if yes. you really look for comfort in those airport lounges, they're coming with a lot of restrictions and they are packed. Restrictions, I mean, they're not honoring some of the day passes. They're not honoring some of the partner credit card uh, in, passes. inclusions mm -hmm. or credit card passes and things like that. So 
you make sure you want to check well in advance whether or not you'll be allowed into the lounge. And then once you get in there, yeah, you're looking for seats. And that's true. And there's some great lounges out there, some great opportunities for you to relax in between flights or if you want to get to the airport early and do that. But you need to know which ones are available, which ones are open, because a lot of them like the American Express ones and some of the other ones like Delta and United are going to be packed. But at the same time, a lot of these lounges have improved dramatically. They really have. And American Express, they have put some restrictions on the amount of time, how far in advance to your flight. The yeah, amount four to of five time hours maximum in, in mm-hmm. there as well. But yes, they have really improved. And we've seen that big improvement since the pandemic. The other thing is that during the pandemic, the airlines were offering a lot of perks. And the lounge was one of those perks. And so now people are looking to take advantage of those perks that they were promised. (laughs) So you definitely want to look out for that. Now, here's something very interesting. Fewer flights to New York and to D.C. And this is because of air traffic control woes. And federal regulators are encouraging airlines to reduce their flights into three major New York area airports and into Washington, D.C. from May 15 to September 15. The FAA is waiving some of the usual requirements for takeoff and landing frequencies at some of these prized airports in the name of reducing congestion and keeping flights running on time. Yeah, and the Northeast Corridor is the most crowded flight area in the world. So basically, if you're talking about everything from Boston down to Northern Virginia, in this case, Newark, JFK, LaGuardia, Washington Reagan National, BWI, and Washington Dulles International Airports. That corridor is packed, and they're going to look for reductions. Yeah. Now, United Airlines announced that it would cut daily flights out of Newark on peak days from 438 departures to 408. But at the same time, they're saying that they will replace those reduced aircraft with larger planes flying 5% more seats than it did in the summer of 2019. Mm -hmm. So you're probably not going to notice it as much because rather than having more flights, you're just going to have larger planes. So you may not see as many flights throughout the day that you had seen before. And talking about busy U.S. cities, everybody's going to Europe. Yeah. Heading out of the United States, especially those East Coast airports to Europe, that's going to be the biggest boom for this summer. Lots of flights going in. The top 10 destinations for this summer that's going right through to March, all the way through the summer, London, Cancun, Paris, Orlando, Rome, New York, Las Vegas, Tokyo, Seattle, and Miami. But all of Europe is going to be packed this summer. And summer is always a crowded time in Europe anyway. It is. We typically don't go to Europe in the summer, but we do have a client trip that is going July 17th through the 23rd. I'm actually looking forward to it. Let's see how it feels. A lot of the Parisians are gone. (laughs) So when you go to Paris in the summer months, you're really seeing other tourists because the locals are gone. They're out in the coast somewhere or they're on vacation to another European destination. The bottom line is that summer 2023 is going to be a big one. Travel is back in full effect. Revenge travel is still a thing, a major thing. And yeah, you definitely want to be prepared for it. Now, remember earlier we talked about the gentleman who was complaining that Hilton Hotels did not have buttons in Braille inside the hotel? Well, here is a completely opposite story. 
There's a company in Greece and compared with Greece tourism, they are making it possible for wheelchairs and people who are in wheelchairs to access the beach and the water. Isn't that nice? It is really nice. And I saw the video on it. If you get a chance, go online and look it up because it is fantastic. It is a ramp. They call it Mm C-Track. And it's a system built specifically for wheelchairs so that the wheelchair can fit on top of it and it wheels them down right into the water. That's right. And the wheelchair is actually attached. They don't pull it's up It's not their, their own personal wheelchair. wheelchair no. Right. The wheelchair is affixed to it. Mm-hmm. It takes them right out and slightly under the water so that they can then just swim away. Swim right out. Yeah. Yeah. And this is excellent. This is beautiful. Greece is putting this in. It's already in 147 beaches already. And they hope to have it in by this summer in 287 beaches all across Greece. And as Javon said, it allows you to park your wheelchair, get in a real wheelchair that goes down and it sort of eases you into the water and you can swim out and enjoy yourself. And then you can come back up and more than one person can use it because you just park your wheelchairs yeah. at the other end. And what I, love Unassisted. About it, what I love about it is that you rarely see people in wheelchairs at the beach. Yeah, and they maybe really don't this will chance. change that and other places will really hop on board. But it's not the first time that Greece has really thought about this. They have already built concrete places and pathways at the Acropolis. The Acropolis, The Acropolis. But how can you take this historic place, because you can't change it, but you can certainly add to it and make it more accessible, which they have done here. You know, we've been going there since the 1980s to Greece. Mm -hmm. So you know that you have a situation where it basically was not always accessible because, as you said, there's a lot of ruins and a lot of rough area to walk across, and now they're making it available to everyone. They certainly are. Well, something that has been in the news time and time again, and now it's really being addressed, is Mexico really safe? And understanding why there are the advisories or lack thereof for Mexico. So there is a company called Verify, and they were asked, really, is Mexico safe? And they answered those questions about crime and safety for travelers before you plan your trip to Mexico, because Cancun as we stated before, is on one of the top destinations for 2023. It's actually always on the list for the United States as far as the top destination. So a lot of people are going to Mexico. Certainly, it is that popular vacation destination. And this year, in review of flight itineraries for spring break, between five and eight days, Allianz Insurance, a travel insurance company, found that four of the top 10 international spring break destinations are in Mexico. And that includes Cancun as one of them. Now, as far as their sources in reporting what they found as far as the safety of Mexico are the U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Embassy of Mexico, Overseas Security Advisory Council, the British government's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, and Canada's Department of Travel and Tourism. So what we found is that the United States State Department issues advisories on every country in the world that you can travel to. And generally, it's going to be one for the entire country. Mexico is one of those rare occasions where they have 32 states and they're issued one to four, one being the best, four being the worst. Four means stay away. One means that you can go ahead and enjoy yourself in the basic terminology that there is. So the State Department has been doing it based on crime, terrorist activities, civil unrest, health, natural disasters, everything you can think of. And it was very interesting because look at the numbers that we got out of them from Mexico. Yes. So 
again, it's done by area and out of the 32 states, six of the states have a level four, which means do not travel. That's Colima, Guerrero. I may be mispronouncing some of these. I'm sorry. Mishawakan, Sinaloa, mm-hmm. Tamaulipas, and Zacatecas. So they also had the level three. Seven states were on the level three, which are reconsider travel. That's Baja, California, Chihuahua, Durango, Guanajuato, Jalisco, Morelos, and Sonora. Those are all the level three, and that's reconsidered travel. All but two of the remaining states were at a level two, which is increased caution. And only two states have a level one, which is exercise normal precautions. And they are Campeche and the Yucatan, Chichen Itza, um, Sumal, Meridia, and all of those that are in the Yucatan. And then Cancun falls into that category as well. And it's very interesting because what came from all of this is that if you're in a tourist area, you're probably better off, but stay in the tourist area, but still use your proper consideration when you're going out. If you're going to an ATM, if you're getting in a cab or a taxi cab going to a different region, you just don't want to wander off. But this is pretty much coming across what a lot of people already knew and have discussed, that not all Mexico is a safe place to be. And it's really interesting because it's one of the few places in the world where they break it down by state because of so many American tourists and tourists from North America and South America go to Mexico. Yeah. And so it's recommended that you use an ATM in a bank branch. During business hours, you look out for counterfeit money if you're buying on the street, like street markets, making sure you take the time to count your money. But also, another very interesting safety tip is not to drive into Mexico from the United States and try not to drive internally either. Yeah, because Baja, which includes Cabo San Lucas, a lot of people drive down Tijuana from California. That is in the level three and level four areas. These are areas you want to stay away from. Yes. You know what I love? I love that Africa is top of mind. There are many reasons that it is the it travel destination for 2023. And I still hate that it's painted with a broad stroke. I mean, we do say Europe, but in this case, we're saying Africa. And there are many African destinations that people are traveling to. It was really talked about in a conference that you just attended and returned from the World Travel Market Africa that was held in Cape Town. Yeah. And actually, since COVID has not disappeared, but since it's dissipated, we are in a post-COVID world. We have a lot of people who are traveling to Africa. And as Javon mentioned, 55, 56 plus different destinations that offer everything from North Africa, East Africa, West Africa, and South Africa. So there's so much you can do. More airlines are flying in than ever before. You've got Delta and United adding more and more flights out of the United States to South Africa. You've got Air Senegal with new flights going out of the U.S., Kenya Airways doing flights out of the U.S. So you have a lot of connections, even flights directly into Nigeria, to Ghana. Egypt Air has a lot of flights. Royal Air Morocco with a lot of flights. That's the place that I find very interesting because you can see snow in the mountains and be on the desert in Morocco. (laughs) Yeah, but also Rwanda Air and Mm -hmm. Qatar, the Middle Eastern Airlines, the ME3 as we call them, that's Qatar, Emirates, and Etihad. They are also expanding their services into many African nations and offering some really good flights in and out of Africa. And so, yeah, Nobu, the luxury restaurant and hotel brand, 
talking about Morocco in Marrakesh. And also Royal Air Maroc, they also have flights in and out of many African nations. When we did Liberia last summer, Mm -hmm. Royal Air Maroc was one airline that we were able to use. Yes. So you've got a lot of opportunities and Africa offers a wide variety. So you've got animal safaris in East Africa, in South Africa. You've got wine regions in a number of countries. You've got historic countries, even religious countries in North Africa and different areas. And you've got the African-American culture in West Africa. There is everything across the board when you visit Africa. Well, we're out of time. It's always fun to do all news and hot topics because there's a whole lot to talk about. And we want to bring that to you always. So we hope that you have enjoyed today's show. Gene, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Javon. When I come back, I've got the Culture Report. I'm Javon Harley, the Traveling Culturati on Sirius XM 141 HUR Voices. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. Connect with us on social media and don't forget to join the Travel Club because the number one thing that we like to do is travel. We want you to come with and to be the first to know when we're on the go. But you can only do that if you're part of the Travel Club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report, and one of my faves of a culture report or any culture is music. So I'm super excited to be chatting today with Kati Gaffney, CEO of Reggae Festival Guide, a reggae media house. Hello, Kati, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. Thanks for having me. This Absolutely. is an exciting time of year. Yeah, music and festivals, and it's starting to become festival season, so it's really exciting around here. Yes, it is, especially in 2023. I know 2022, we started coming back into festivals that had been canceled for the prior year and a half, but some were partially done. Some had changed dates, had reduced their size. But 2023, I get the feeling that we're back in full effect with festivals. That's that's what we're seeing on our end too. Yes. Yes. So super excited about that. And super excited about reggae music. I just love its imprint in the music industry and that it has really become a classic and really how it has evolved over the years as well. So tell me a little bit about the Reggae Festival Guide, how it came to be. Okay, so I got involved with reggae festivals through a friend of mine years ago. And I saw that they didn't have a program. I have a background in magazine publishing. So I started producing programs for that festival, which is still in existence today. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And also for other festivals. But I kept on thinking, gosh, the program should actually come out before the festivals and have the information about the basics, who, where, what, when, why, how do you get there and so forth. And all the festivals should be in one program. So I came up with the idea of creating a reggae festival guide. That was in 1995. 
And it started out, I think it was 12 or 16 pages. It was just for Northern California, which is where I'm from. And then for the next 25 years, it was the oldest and largest reggae magazine in the world, in print for 20 years and then digital for five. And then at the beginning of the pandemic in 1920, we stopped the annual magazine that comes out in April where everything is online. Oh, just about everything's online today. And it makes it so much simpler because that's always my first go-to. Even if I get a magazine, I have a couple that I haven't let go (laughs) and I still get, but my first point of reference or source is I go online to see what's happening there. And I also like that it's genre specific because there's so many music festivals today. And so if you're looking for one to be a part of and you want to be specific about it, it really kind of helps narrow that navigation. Yeah. And people who are into reggae, they're diehard fans. They're not going to say, oh, I'm going to go to a reggae festival this weekend and go see a rock and roll show next weekend. It's almost a lifestyle. And the thing about reggae music and most Caribbean music is it's wide appeal to so many different types of people. And it's feel-good music. And then within reggae, there's different subgenres like ska or dancehall. And some reggae festivals incorporate different types of music within their own festival, reggaeton. So the thing with reggaefestivalguide.com is that fans could come to one place and search for festivals. They could search by the name, they could search by the date, they could search by the location, or just do upcoming festivals and plan their summer and they could go festival hopping. Yeah, and that's always fun to do. And especially when you're traveling, I've sometimes have stumbled upon festivals because I've traveled to a destination. And sometimes I've traveled to a destination specifically for the festival. And both are. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's themed, me too. It's themed traveling. I'm going to London in May. And our anchor date is the City Splash Festival in Brixton in South London. And from there, we'll also go see the art museums and the neighborhoods and so forth. But my friends and I, just because we're loyal reggae fans, we do themed travel around reggae. And also you find your reggae family in all parts of the world. Oh, yeah. That's always the fun part. When you get together with like-minded people and you share a passion, it makes things so much more fun. And you learn so much more as people share their experiences and the things that they know and the things that they like to do within that particular genre. But talking about your love. It's like, oh, you like reggae? So do we. Come over for dinner. (laughs) We're related. (laughs) Well, you are in that sense. You know, that, that relationship is connected connected with that one thing, but it does become a relationship and something that you both relate to in that sense. But talking about your love of reggae, I understand that you will be an honoree at the 40th IRAWMA Anniversary Awards. The International Reggae and World Music Awards. Like you said, it's the 40th anniversary. I've never been before. I know the people who put it on, Dr. Ephraim Martin, They're out of Chicago and Jamaica, and they contacted me. I've done work with them, publicity work off and on for years and years, but not closely. They notified me last month that I would be receiving an award for, I'm not looking at the exact award, but it's 30 years of outstanding media coverage of reggae and world music. Yeah. Pretty exciting. So I'm going to Jamaica to the awards ceremony May 7th. Yeah, Jamaica's like the Mecca of reggae, is it not? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And Kingston's the Mecca of Jamaica. So yeah, I'm going to ground zero. 
Yeah, I had a gentleman on from Jamaica Tourism not so long ago, and we talked about Jamaican music and reggae, and he talked about ska and the evolution of reggae, which was very fascinating as well. Fascinating story. It really is. So it must be wonderful to really have a passion for something and then get to work with that passion and then to bring that information to other people. Now, I'm sure the name suggests that it's a reggae festival guide, but is there a more specific focus on the guide as it pertains to reggae and festivals? Is it international? Is it domestic? Okay, so let's see. So we have seven media products. Like I say, we're not in print anymore. We used to do the annual print magazine. We have a weekly newsletter called Reggae E-Guide that goes out to 152,000 subscribers every Thursday for the last 20 years, and we've never missed issue. So that's something. And in it, people can find music and tours and festivals and industry scuttlebutt, just different information about artists that are traveling and so forth. We also do custom e-blasts out to our readership. For example, we just did an e-blast for Sierra Nevada World Music Festival. And so that readers can find out all the information, who, where, what, when, how, why. Because we've been around so long and we have high Google ranking on website and we high open rate on our e-blasts and so forth. So even though a festival might have their own email list and their own website and their own social media, they come to us. We're an umbrella and our numbers are quite a bit larger than any individual festival. We also have our social media platforms. We reach fans, but we also reach business to business. So we reach bands and festivals, musicians. They advertise with us, and then we put the information out to the fans. And for the fans, everything we do is free. In addition to being a source and information, what is the guide's contribution, if any, to reggae itself? Oh, that's a tricky question. And I think it's something like this. So years ago, when I started this company, I noticed that there was no cohesiveness within reggae industry. I come from a different background with my family. We were in published yachting magazines. And in the boating world, there was all this cohesiveness. There was boat clubs and people worked together all the time with reggae. It was everyone for himself. And I thought, gosh, if I could help everything be a little bit more professional and a little bit more cohesive. So we were taken seriously by the Grammys, which we are now. I mean, a lot of work went into that over the years on all fronts because these artists that come out of Jamaica that have music, they have amazing music and often don't have the resources to get it out there. And it changes so quickly with digital marketing and so forth. So they say, hey, I've got this great song. And we might say, yes, you do. Do you have a website? No, we could help them make that. Do you have an electronic press kit? We could help them make that. We could get all their assets in order, their bio and so forth, and get their music digitized. And then when they're ready, then send it out to our fan base, which we're constantly working on building. So in addition to providing information for festivals, you also feature artists or assist artists in getting their music out there. I'm looking at your site now and I see featured videos and I even see One Love International for accessory clothing and so forth, because that's part of it Uh too, isn't it? Yeah. Anyone who's trying to reach a lot of reggae fans, they could come through us and do outreach from here. Yeah. Now, 
Is there a connection to the festivals as far as virtual tours or online presence? With us, no. So each festival is its own entity. They could all have a free listing on our calendar. So if, if your listeners go to reggaefestivalguide.com, it'll say upcoming events, I think it says. I'm not looking at it right now. They could see everything that's upcoming. And then when something catches their eye, like they see a festival that's in Bayfront, Michigan in July, whatever, they click on it and it goes through to that festival's website. And that's where you would find all the information about that website. You couldn't email us and ask us about that website. We'd say, please contact Bayfront Reggae Festival, for example. What is the best way to use the website? So if you're a reggae fan, go on to reggaefestivalguide.com and click the button that says upcoming events and poke around and see what you like and keep checking back so you're fully aware of reggae festivals, primarily in the United States, but also Canada and some in Jamaica, Caribbean, and some in Europe. Additionally, while you're on the homepage, it says subscribe to the Reggae E-Guide. Again, that's a free subscription. You click on it, enter your email, and every Thursday morning you'll get it delivered into your inbox, reggae news and music from around the world, but primarily the United States. Kati, thank you so much for joining me today. I just absolutely love it. I absolutely love that it is free as well. So you're bringing reggae music in so many different ways with the history, lifestyle, current news, and of course, festivals. Again, it is reggaefestivalguide.com. The festival season is upon us, or even if you just want to know more about reggae, it's a great site to visit. So again, Kati, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.